Um, all right, so I am extremely caffeinated, so this is going to be a very squirmy uh, message today. And um, last, if you didn't catch it, last Sunday I got to teach and I spoke uh, extensively about the historicity of the New Testament. So the fact that the New Testament is a re- reliable historical document. And so this Sunday, uh, kind of take, I thought I thought I might go th- through the Old Testament, and there's co- tons of cool stuff out there. If you if you're super into that history stuff, um, or if you just like apologetics, there's a um, a resource that I. Start, I started using it like six, seven years ago as a, just for like youth ministry, and it's called True U. And so it's true and then the letter U. And um, the first two seasons, there's I think about eight episodes each season. The first two seasons are this guy named Stephen Meyer, who's a, sort of a, he's part of the intelligent design movement. He's a scientist uh, by training, but then a philosopher of science in, I think, his PhD at Cambridge was in philosophy of science. And so he does about eight episodes on evidence for the existence of God, and then he does about eight episodes on um, the history. Does the, is the Bible reliable? And all of it is on Amazon Prime, and it's free. And so if you have Amazon Prime, which most of us in Primeville probably do, because who doesn't want to get stuff shipped here all the time for free? You also get a bunch of video for free. And one of the things on there is True You, T-R-U-E, and then just the letter U, True You. And there's actually a three or four seasons of it. And so you could go watch that on Amazon Prime. It's pretty cool. And each episode is about 25 minutes long. So if you want to know about the history of the Old Testament, go check that out. Um, but what I decided, rather than just more knowledge, I wanted to take that idea a little further since I had a second Sunday. And I wanted to talk now about more of the faith side of the Bible. And so there is a place to look at the Bible as a historical document, but then there's a place to look at the Bible through a Christian worldview, which is much more of a, a place of faith. It's, it's a, a place where we choose to look at the Bible the way Jesus did. And um, so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to use 2 Timothy 3.16 as kind of like the official verse that I'm teaching on today, but I'm going to just survey the Bible uh, today about what, what's, what's really the main theme that you see in the Bible that the Bible says about itself. And, uh, and so as I do that, I'm going to answer, I'm going to look at three things. Okay, so three basic things I'm going to look at today as we look at the Bible more from a Christian worldview perspective than from just a historical perspective. And so first question I'm going to ask is, did Jesus believe the Bible was inspired? And then I'm going to ask the question, how can the Bible be God's word if it is written by men? And then I'm going to ask the question, how is the Bible profitable for the Christian? And so that's what I'll be talking about. Those three questions today. Let's see who the winner is. Okay, 21 years, Cindy Bipperman. Andy and Amanda Swain, seven years. You don't, not even close, Andy, but you did a good job in worship today. Uh, Rory Rogers. Oh, we're looking at Frank and whoa, 49 years. What? Okay. I got to go to the top. Sorry. You ever get a text message and you got like 17 messages you got to read to know what's going on. Okay. There's Jacobson 16 years for the Olkers. Yep. Okay. I was right. Wasn't wrong. The Rogers are at 18 years. Whoa. Dennis may 41 years on July 6th. Paula Curvin, 33 years for Ken and Paula. Tracy, you guys are like, hey, I can see them all, John. You don't have to read them all to me. 
June 16th, 63 years for Frank and Loretta. That is impressive. That is seriously impressive. Um, and Rory said to Gil, how, I don't know. Okay, I, I'll go read. I'm, I'm guessing Frank and Loretta won. 63 years. Way to go, Frank and Loretta, Loretta and everybody who's killing it in the anniversaries. Okay, I still, me and Jessica, we're, our marriage can drive. So I feel like we should celebrate somehow this year in June. Okay. Uh, let's get into the text. Let me pray first, okay? Um, Lord, we just uh, come before you and pray uh, this morning that your word would speak to us. God, as we're going to just survey tons of verses and really pick up the major themes of your book, help us to see it the way you see it, God. Let your word speak and enlighten us this morning and fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So our, uh, our verse that I'm going off of today is 2 Timothy 3.16. Oh, I'm going to start a timer. Yes. Hold up. I am the most spazzed out guy on the butt. Where's the clock? Here we go. Clock. Timer. Time, stopwatch. Here we go. This is for you guys. All right. This is going to help. Okay. Uh, you're like, wait, those first 10 minutes of rambling didn't count? Nope. Didn't count. Okay. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so uh, I like that verse. I chose that verse to be kind of the one that I'm going to come back to repeatedly because it says all scripture is given by inspiration and it's profitable. And so if I were to break this down into two points, the two points of this message today is that the Bible's inspired and it's profitable to you. Okay. Now, as we're looking at inspiration, I want to talk about Jesus first because I call myself a Christian. And I imagine most of you who are watching today do as well. And Christian is sort of like, um, it means little Christian. Sort of like I had this kid on my soccer team a couple years ago and his name was Juanito, and uh, it means little Juan, or it means, it's like what the, 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 the Juan who's a little kid, you know, you get that, it's sort of like what we do with, with my name, I'm John, but my, I was the baby of the family, so they called me Johnny, right? And so when we, say, when we call ourselves Christians, we're like saying little Christies, I'm just a little Christy, and I'm trying to say I want to be like Jesus. Um, I actually uh, started listening to this guy I think Rory turned me on to him. I can't remember his name. But he, he's a, a missionary to Muslims, and he's got a really interesting way about him. And, and uh, he actually, because he's a missionary, ah, what is that guy's name? I can't remember his name. But he's, because he's a missionary to the Muslim world, he actually never, ever calls himself a Christian because to a Muslim, Christian is like a cuss word. It's like the evil people. And so what he does, though, instead to be like culturally aware of how Muslims think, he calls himself a follower of Jesus because Muslims love Jesus. They just think that Christians are terrible. And so he calls himself a follower of Jesus instead of calling himself a Christian. It's interesting how like just the use of a word can matter that much. So I've, I've been listening to that guy a lot and I like that even in our American culture. Like I, I call myself a Christian, but I love 
to, to kind of redefine it. And rather than call myself a Christian, which can mean quite a bit in America, and even in America it's starting to kind of be like not necessarily a popular term, I tend to describe myself more as a follower of Jesus. And even in my, the way that I think about like philosophy of like my worldview, I really like to start with Jesus. Like Jesus is whatever Jesus believed, that's what I want to believe. However Jesus acted, that's how I want to act. And so the reason I'm coming to Jesus first uh, is because if Jesus believed the Bible was inspired, then I want to believe the Bible was inspired because I follow Jesus. And so we're going to look at a few verses first um, of Jesus and what he actually said about the Bible. And so here's uh, Matthew 22, chapter 22, verses 29 through 32. And those should be on the screen. I'm going to go through probably like 25 or 40 verses today. So um, it says, Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. Now, it's really important to study the Bible in context. And that's one thing we usually do here at Calvary Chapel is we go verse by verse. I didn't do that last week. I'm not doing that this week either, though. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking a lot of verses, and I don't have time to go in depth about the context of the verse, but I'm trying to say, hey, what, what's a principle here we can quickly see in, in, in this verse? And so you should really, like, take every verse I say and go study it in context and make sure I'm not a total her- heretic. Uh, but I promise I'm not. Um, so Jesus is talking to the Sadducees, who are these uh, sort of like the religious leaders, one group of religious leaders of the day. And they were a group of religious leaders who didn't believe there was a resurrection from the dead. The other group was the Pharisees. So you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so Jesus is talking to the Sadducees, and he says, you're mistaken. You do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. And then a little bit later, he says in verse 31, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now, there's a really interesting thing. Have you not read, okay, reading, we tend to think like a book with my eyes, but then he says, what was spoken to you by God. And so we see that Jesus held the same view that I'm going to show you in a minute, that the books of the Old Testament were the word of God. But how that exactly works, we're going to get into further. But that's, that's the first piece of evidence from the text that Jesus believed that the Old Testament was an inspired book, inspired by God. Okay. Next place we see Jesus on this. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit. Sorry, this is uh, Mark twelve thirty six, And I'm just taking this little fragment. For, and he goes on to say what he's saying. But he says, Jesus says this. These are out of the mouth of Jesus. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit. So once again, we see Jesus believed, like he acknowledged, like, yeah, David wrote this. But it was by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, um, one more place, John 17, 17, Jesus is referring to scriptures. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. And he's pr- in this passage, he's praying to God, the Father. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus had this view that God's word was the truth and that it was, that it was 
um, something that had come through men by the Holy Spirit. Now, also, in this day and age, uh, you know, I'm a science teacher. In this day and age, like, any, anybody who's not, um, you know, interested in being a follower of Jesus is probably going to believe the Bible isn't true just because culturally, socially, it's just not popular to believe things that are miraculous. We live in a day and an age where people are very skeptical, and if you believe something that's miraculous, you're probably going to be kind of, you know, mocked a little bit for it. And I mean, you can go all over the internet and YouTube and find all kinds of things like that. I've been watching, I've actually been watching a channel on YouTube uh, about an uh, an, a- an atheist's page or a couple different atheist pages. And there's some atheists out there who are like really respectable, nice guys. And then there's other atheists out there who are like just... They're just not nice. They're just rude, and they're just, they're really like what the Bible describes as just scoffers. Like, they don't necessarily have a strong explanation. Like, a couple of guys on YouTube I've been watching, they're called skeptics, and they just enjoy the fact that they don't even believe anything. They just like to mock what other people believe. They don't, they don't have a way to explain all the data themselves. They don't feel they have to. Their job is just to go out and mock what other people think, and specifically Christians and, and people who believe in supernatural things. And so um, that, that's very, I think, a very common sense, a common sense of people these days is like, oh, you believe in something supernatural? You're an idiot, you know? But look at what Jesus believed about kind of supernatural things here. Uh, Jesus, or even just Adam and Eve believing that there were originally two people, which there's actually a lot of scientific evidence for this. They've studied mitochondrial DNA. I won't get into that. But uh, here's Jesus on Adam and Eve. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. And he answered and said to them, and this is when the Pharisees were asking him about divorce. And Jesus answers the Pharisees, and he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus is quoting the first couple chapters of Genesis and um, just talking about it like it's a literal historical thing. And so if Jesus believed Genesis was literal, I want to believe Genesis is literal. If Jesus saw that there was truth in Genesis, then I believe there's truth in Genesis. Okay? But even some more things that are a little um, unpopular. Here's uh, Matthew ten fifteen. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so Jesus is referencing Sodom and Gomorrah from the Old Testament, the city that was like so sexually immoral that God um, burned it with fire. And there's another place, uh, I don't have the reference, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, remember Lot's wife. And in that story, Lot's wife, it's sort of a metaphor for us today. Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah when they were leaving and she, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And it's totally like, you know, scoffers today, they like, to, they like to somehow create this evolution of thoughts. Every thought is connected to another thought. And so they'll say, oh, yeah, it's just like Medusa. She turns people into stone. But Jesus spoke about her and, and refer, referenced her and said, hey, that happened. Remember Lot's wife? And, and it's really a warning for us, like, not to keep our eyes on the things of the world, but to be, like, solely focused on Jesus uh, another spot, I, did, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't get it in here, but Jesus referenced Jonah. Now, here's another story 
that people will totally scoff at. The idea that, that Jonah was eaten by a big fish and survived in a fish for three days. You know, and Jesus uh, said, I, I, don't, I don't have the passage, I don't know why I didn't grab it for you, it just came to me right now. But Jesus said, you know, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be, he's talking about his death and resurrection. Jesus spoke about these Old Testament miraculous stories like there were literal events. Uh, last one, Noah's flood. This is another one people will totally scoff at. Uh, and this is from Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Thanks, Justin. Uh, but as the, days, uh, as the days of Noah were, this is Jesus speaking about Noah. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And he's talking about his own coming, his second coming. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will uh, the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus believed in a flood that destroyed people, a global flood that destroyed people. And so I believe that. And, you know, I could go, I could go off on that for a long time. I'm not going to. But all these crazy, miraculous things, these aren't... These aren't, I mean, I mean, you could go into evidence about some of this stuff, and it's cool, but there comes a point as a Christian, this is what I'm really trying to get at. Last time I showed you, like, hey, there's a lot of historical evidence that the New Testament's a reliable historical document, okay? And you could even go to prophecy and say, hey, this seems to be, like, divinely inspired. And you can look at how the New Testament's been preserved and say, no other document in history's been as well-preserved as this. But at some point, you have to step away from just... Can I prove? How much can I prove? How much can I prove? How much can I prove? And at some point, God's way is not prove it all. God's way is faith. And so there comes a point where, hey, this is a reasonable conclusion, but I can't prove it beyond all doubt. And so there comes a point where you just say, are you committed to Jesus? Are you going to believe what Jesus believed? Are you going to be willing to do the things Jesus says you're supposed to do when it goes kind of beyond reason. So you use your mind, and there's lots of intelligent reasons to say, hey, this is a reasonable conclusion to come to. But ultimately, it's by faith. I can't, I can't go and, I mean, you can show a lot of evidence for things, but you know, you could show mitochondrial evidence that, that there's a real Eve and Y-chromosomal atom evidence that there's a, there's a real single atom Back, you know, and you, you could go into the flood, and there's all kinds of ways people go with that. But at some point, you have to make a decision that you're committed to Jesus Christ and that you're going to believe what he believes. And so I don't believe the Bible's inspired because I can prove every single detail of it. I can show a lot of evidence and I can find intelligent reasons to believe, but ultimately, I believe that the Bible's the inspired word of God because Jesus believed it. And so, if that's what Jesus believed, I'm with Jesus, and I'm going to believe that too. Now, uh, so, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, as a Christian, reason and evidence gets you to a point, but then there comes a place where you say, you can, it's sort of like Jesus talked about counting the cost. You sort of count the cost, and you say, like, I am all in with you, Jesus, and I am I'm putting my bets on this, and I'm going forward with you, and I'm living a, a life of faith following you. And so 
you know, maybe that's where you're at today, that, that God is calling you, hey, stop, stop having one foot in and one foot out. Like, oh yeah, I like all this Bible stuff. Oh, but I know all these skeptical people. And stop living this sort of half and half life. That's what I was doing in college when I was first studying a lot of this evidence. I'd become a Christian, but I was doubting and worrying so much about evidence and proof and, oh, but this one piece of proof and that one piece of proof. And at some point, you need to get past like one little piece of evidence that goes the way you want it or doesn't go the way you want it. And you need to just say, I don't know how it all works. I don't know how every little detail works, but I see Jesus and I hear what he's saying and I'm all in with him and I'm going with him. I'm going after him as hard as I can. And, and so once you get to that point, jump in with both feet, take on a Christian worldview and commit yourself completely to God. And maybe that's, maybe that's for you today like, you need to be born again. You need to first believe what he says about salvation. But I think for a lot of us as Christians, it's just like, I just need to stop playing games half in and half out. And so, so once, once you kind of are willing to accept what Jesus accepted about the Bible, how does that, you know, it's, it's really not like a total proof thing. It's like a, I start with this assumption. I start with this assumption that the Bible is God's inspired word and that it's the way God has prepared uh, Christians to be uh, built up. And so uh, once you ex- make that assumption, once you say, okay, I'm a Christian, that's my assumption, okay, then it's really cool to see how does the Bible describe it, okay? And so this next, this next portion that I'm going to go through, I'm not going through this like trying to prove it to somebody who's n- not a Christian. That's called, like people, people get mad about this sometimes and they'll call it circular reasoning because Christians are like, oh, it says right here, the Bible's breathed out by God, so the Bible proves that the Bible's the Bible. That the Bible, the Bible's the Bible. When you get to some of these circular things, it's not, you're not proving it. You don't, you don't, you don't take a Bible verse to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible and then say, hey, how do you not believe the Bible's the Bible? The Bible says the Bible's the Bible. It just doesn't work, okay? You don't, it's not a proof thing. It's a, it's a foundational assumption. And every, it's called a presupposition. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. And I wish I could go into that right now, but I'm not going to. But, you know, atheists have lots of presuppositions. They make two. It's, it's just a foundational assumption that we start with that the word of God is inspired. And so once you start there, once you're like, okay, Lord, I'm in. Your word is my foundation. Then you can, man, you can start to grow. You can start to build beautiful things off of that. Okay? And so let's see what the Bible says about itself now. Uh, as we form a Christian worldview and we believe what God says, okay? And so this is a really good question people ask. And this, this is a great question, and it's totally answered by the Bible itself. How can the Bible be God's word if it's written by men? People who are scoffers, they want to put in about 30 seconds of thought before they reject Christianity. And this is one of the, uh, the ways they'll do it. I need to look at my timer. Okay, we're good, we're good, I got this. Uh, and so people will, people will often put this up like, oh, I've proven Christianity is not true. They'll say, oh, I don't believe in Christianity. The Bible's written by men. Yeah, the Bible's written by men. That's what Christians believe. So how do we as Christians believe that the Bible's written by men, but we still believe that the Bible's inspired by God? Let's just let the Bible tell us, okay? So here we go. Second Timothy uh, 3.16, let's look at, this is the verse I've been going on saying that we're going to talk about how the Bible's inspired and it's profitable. Look at the way it's um, translated in the English Standard Version. 
It's rather than in our first uh, translation was from New King James. It said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration sounds a little bit like the word respiration. And it's actually got the word spire in it. SP, like I've got this little tool that I do labs with called a spirometer. And you can blow through it and it'll measure how fast your air is coming out and stuff and volumes and stuff. So, and respire, spirit, these are all the same uh, Greek word or Latin word or probably both. Uh, and so in the ESV, it says all scripture is breathed out by God. So the, the Bible is God's breathed out message. And I think the reason that it says breathed out by God is because the word for breath is also the word for spirit. And so God's spirit is actively the one who has made the Bible. The Bible has come through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And like Rory talked about in um, two, three weeks ago in John chapter one, he talked about the Trinity. The spirit of God is is one of the three persons of the Godhead. So God somehow is like three in one. And so we're going to see a lot of verses here where it talks about the spirit of God, but we'll also see Christ and God sometimes. So God tends to refer to the Father. Christ is the Son, second member of the Trinity, and then the Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And so uh, ESV says all Scripture is breathed out by God. So even though... It is written by men. It is men who are moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's see this some more. Uh, Exodus 4, 11, and 12. This might be the earliest place we see something about God inspiring people to write words. And so um, Exodus 4, 11, and 12. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Uh, so this is Moses. I think I missed a verse here. This is Moses saying, God, I can't speak for you. Moses is afraid to speak for God. And then God says back to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. So this is like the first time in the Bible we see like God saying, I'm God and I will speak through you. And uh, let's go now to 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. Now, these are the last words of David. This is the very last thing David said. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high and anointed uh, of, God, of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Wouldn't it be nice to be known as the sweet psalmist of Prineville? I think of Adam Barney as the sweet psalmist of Prineville. Okay, uh, and, and David says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. So we see the same idea. I mean, we went from Moses to David. There's a lot of years between those two people. And the same theme still exists. And you're going to see this theme go out throughout the entire Bible. The idea is that the Spirit is in a person, and it causes them to speak or to write what God wants. Okay, that's, that's called the mechanism. So this is the Christian uh, worldview mechanism of how men wrote the Bible, but the Bible is God's word. Okay, let's keep watching it. Uh, here's Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to just uh, pick like 
a couple of chunks of a few verses, a little bit of four, six, and nine. And so Jeremiah, this is the beginning of his book that he wrote. And he says, now the word of the Lord came to me. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. And then the Lord put his hand out and touched my mouth. And so the, once again, the worldview that we have says that men speak, men write, but the Lord touches them in some way to make them speak. And now here's what God says to Jeremiah later in his book. Thus says the Lord, I think this is the first time we have it as writing. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. And so God speaks to Jeremiah, but then Jeremiah writes these ideas down in a book. And they're going to come through Jeremiah's language, which is probably Hebrew, okay? And with Moses and and David, same thing. It's going to come through Hebrew. And so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but there are also Greek translations. And there's a whole bunch of details there you can look at. Um, It's going to come through his, probably his education and his training, although we're not limiting God. We're not saying God couldn't speak through another language or do whatever he wants. But we tend to think, as these sort of naturalistic American Western-minded people, that God, you know, spoke through them, through the words they knew how to use, uh, with the uh, handwriting that they had, and whatever other natural parts of them existed. We think that God spoke through them, and so you read certain portions of the Bible that are in the original manuscripts, and they're in one language. Well, we don't have the original manuscripts, probably, but you know the uh, original language they were written in. And you're going to find certain words. People, there's even scholars will even go uh, and say, "Oh, this this letter must have been written by Paul because it has all these uh, phrases that Paul always used." You know, and and there's certain words like the word "abide." I don't know if anybody uses the word "abide" besides John. And John uses "abide" in the Gospel of John, but he also uses the word "abide" in. Um, you know, like first John, second John. And so like, there's just different styles. People have different styles and they wrote in different styles through their culture, their context and so on. But, uh, here we see the same idea in the new Testament. I already showed you this once, but Jesus said this exact same thing. So we see a day, Moses, David, here's Jesus. And it says, now this will make a little more sense. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty one. going back to what I had for Jesus, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And so this, now we understand what Jesus meant when he said that. He's, and he's just slapping the Sadducees right in the face. They're these like super religious guys. And he's like, haven't you read your own book that you read all the time? Just totally just, psh, psh. okay. And He says, have you not read what was spoken by God? And then he quotes uh, Moses. And so we see that Jesus uh, viewed inspiration the same way the Old Testament viewed inspiration. And then when Jesus in Mark 12, 36, he said, for by David, or for David himself says, by the Holy Spirit. And so we see this same idea in Jesus that was in the Old Testament. And then here's a really cool one from uh, 2 Peter one twenty, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This is what I believe as a Christian, not because I know every single piece of evidence about every single verse in the Bible, but because I'm a Christian, because I'm a little Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I follow him. I say, Jesus, this is what you believe. This is what I believe. I'm with you. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we, that's Peter. We went from Moses to Jesus to Peter. Everybody in the New Testament is saying the same thing. The Bible is inspired by God and written by men. All right. I feel like there's more verses, but I'm just going to keep going. Okay, so I hope, I may, I may have ki- killed that horse. I may have been kicking a dead horse, as they say in the America. Um, I think you got it, right? M- many of you were probably like, uh, Johnny, I already knew that before you even started. Well, now you see the theme a little better in the New Testament. I like to go through the whole Bible and see themes in the Bible sometimes. Okay, we're at 27 minutes, plus or minus 10 minutes if you're going to count that. Uh, I'm not sure how the minus would work, but definitely the plus. So now my last two pages are about, don't worry, I've already made it through three pages. The Bible is profitable, okay? And so um, we're going to start in the Old Testament. So look back at our verse, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 in the New King James. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for repro- so it's profitable Okay, that's where I'm getting the word profitable. We've covered inspiration now out of that verse. Is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So now we're going to look at profitable, the word profitable in that verse. And I looked up the word profitable, and it means beneficial, useful, or helpful. I can think of another verse spontaneously. Uh, Peter says, God has given us all we need for life and godliness. And like the word of God is that thing for us that gives us what we need. Um, so let's start in the Old Testament. Joshua 1.8. How is the Bible profitable? profitable? Let's look at a few verses. Uh, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is um, God speaking to Joshua, I think. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may ab- Observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you, will, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And so, once again, there's a theme that we're going to see that goes through the whole Bible uh, from, from Joshua, who's right after Moses, all the way to Jesus. And it's that, that not just that, that the Bible is this book that we form a worldview with, but that it has things for us that are daily profitable for us and says you shall meditate in it day and night and so like chew on it meditate like i've heard is like how cows chew their cud so like cows this is this is really disgusting great metaphor so like cows they eat the grass here's some science i gotta throw in some science they eat the grass grass is made of cells plant cells plant cells have a cell wall remember learning that in middle school the cell wall has a, f- a, a carbohydrate in it called cellulose that does not get digested by most animals, even cows, I think. Yeah, they don't have the enzyme. So you need an enzyme. So we have the enzyme to digest, like, um, glycogen. You're all like, what, cross-eyed? Never heard of that. Okay, so glycogen is like the carbohydrate that's in, like, our cells. And we've got the enzyme for that one. Break it apart, turn it into s- sweet sugar. But plants, they have cellulose, which is, like, when you're running your chainsaw and you're throwing chips or when you're like making sawdust, that's cellulose. Where am I going with this? Okay, meditate, meditate. So cows, they eat up this grass full of cellulose. That's mostly what it is. And it doesn't have much nutritional value beyond the cellulose. And cows can't actually digest cellulose, but there are bacteria that can. 
So bacteria have the enzyme for digesting this. And so what the cows do is they swallow all this plant stuff. And how many stomachs they got, Adam? Eight. Adam's a farmer. I'm going with Adam. Eight stomachs, okay? There's even, there's even a cow in uh, Corvallis that my kids actually, I think my kids got to see it. I heard about it. I never actually saw it. But this is just mean, but kind of awesome. They had a piece of glass or maybe plastic, and they had like, like somehow like connected it to the cow and the Oh, only four. Oh, Adam Barney correcting himself, four stomachs. Hey, but if you're talking about two cows, then there's eight, right. So they had this glass thing, and you could actually see one of the stomachs of the cow through the glass and see all the, the stuff in there. But they have a whole bunch of bacteria that, um, that can break down the cellulose. And so what they do is they chew it up, and they swallow it, and somehow it goes into one of their stomachs. And then they vomit it back up into their mouth. And it's and then they chew it again. Oh, that was delicious. You know, like when you had a hot dog uh, late at night and then you wake up at 3 a.m.? Oh, no, I shouldn't tell that story. Okay, so cows are like back and forth, back and forth with the cellulose until the bacteria have enough time to break it down and they steal all the nutrients out of it and they turn into delicious cheeseburger machines. I mean, that's what cows are. They're cheeseburger machines. They make both the cheese and the burger. Um, so in the same way with the word of God, you are supposed to be chewing on it. Like, Think about it, like Old Testament, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have a printed copy of the Bible. They had to memorize it into their brain, and then they would think about it while they're digging in the field, right? And it just over meditate on it. And every week they'd go to church, except they called it synagogue or temple or I don't know. I need an Old Testament scholar here for that. And then they would hear more of it, and they would chew on it, and it would be in their mind. It was their Facebook. Before there was Facebook, there was the temple. I don't know where I'm going with that. Okay, so that's what it says here. Um, day and night you shall meditate it, and if you do, uh, it will make your way prosperous, and you observe it. Okay, here's Psalm 1. Psalm 1, what a great, short, sweet psalm. I think it's Proverbs 1, too, is excellent. But Psalm 1 says, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There are... Excuse me, burp. There are alternatives to letting the word of God dwell in you and, you know, ruminate and meditate. Uh, here's the alternative. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It is so easy in this world to follow the counsel of the ungodly. Just get on to Facebook or to the Twitter, send out some tweets on the Snapchat, you know, I don't know. Sorry school teacher um but you can there are so many ways that the world can get into your brain through the tv and the cell phone and everything else and and you can start to let the world influence the way you make decisions um but in psalm 1 it says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. We see that again. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, once again, it says he will prosper. Um, and so we see this idea in the Old Testament uh, from, from Joshua to David, meditate in the word of God. Here's Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
restoring the soul. And I actually have a New Testament verse here that I just rem- reminded of when I hear restoring the soul, that like as the word is in you, it restores your soul. Uh, Romans 2, 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind is going to come through hearing the word taught, through reading the word, through talking to other Christians who are sharing truth that they have from the word. And so there is a place as a Christian, this is probably the most practical and important part of the message today. Don't let the world be the main influence of your thoughts. Let the word of God be the main influence of your thoughts day and night. At, at our house, the Olkers residence, uh, with the quarantine going, we've had this really interesting season that we've never had before where we're doing our devotion together in the morning. And so I get up about six, seven, depending on how much sleep I need. And then I go get the kids up at 7.30 every morning and I drag them out of bed and they all come sit on the couch and I'm opening the book of John right now and we're in like John chapter three. And we're reading the Bible together in the morning and uh, just talking about it. It's been really cool. And so the morning, but then I've been kind of cheating in the evening lately and thinking, I don't need, I'm in the morning. No, read it in the morning and then read it in the evening. The alternative, what I tend to do if I don't read it in the evening is I watch, I, I just do this. This is what we do. Facebook, just scroll, 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 scroll. It's the weirdest habit. I bet a lot of you do it too, yeah? You just scroll, scroll. What's going to come up and entertain my brain? Like, why don't we close off our day with the, the Bible too, okay? Um, now, here's, here's another profitable thing about the Bible. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And so like for, for the sake of purity, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart, and I bet most of you know it, that I might not sin against you. And so it, it helps us make decisions about the future, you know, like in terms of like business and things that might involve like, you know, financial prosperity or like, um, you know, just you know, emotional prosperity with relationships, but it's also, uh, it's also going to just protect us from sin. And, and then uh, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Oh, oh, this is still 119. I was in 119. This is 105. That's a lot of verses in one chapter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I heard somebody say this week when I was studying for this, I heard him say, you know, a light for your feet is only a couple steps ahead. You know, if you got a flashlight on your feet, you're, you're only looking two steps ahead. And, and so as God, you know, this is why you've got to read it every day. you got a couple, today, what am I doing, Lord? A couple steps, a couple steps. And every day, his word guides you. Um, okay, now let's go to the New Testament, and then we'll wrap it up here. So how is the Bible prof- profitable? What's the New Testament say about this? Matthew 4.4, 4, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. I didn't even know about this. I, I don't know why. I mean, I knew about this, but I never thought about this in context. Uh, so I'd always heard th- this verse, and I always thought it was Jesus. And it says, Matthew 4, 4, it says, But he answered and said, so this is Jesus talking to the devil, which is kind of a strange thing to think. And what's going on is Jesus has, hasn't eaten in 40 days, I think, and the devil's come to the desert where Jesus is fasting. And... Um, that he's trying to tempt Jesus, and, and he's giving him, oh, I'll give you this really good cheeseburger if you'll just worship me as the devil. And, uh, 
something to that effect. And uh, might be a bit of a paraphrase. And Jesus says to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I always thought Jesus made that up. It's actually from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I don't think I wrote it down. <clears throat> it's from Deuteronomy. And it's actually from the story. Did you guys know that that was from Deuteronomy? Of course you did. You're David Newberger. I'm not David Newberger. I don't know these kind of things. Um, so Deuteronomy, it's actually when God, there's so many beautiful metaphors for us to literally, you know, I don't want to say regurgitate, meditate on and just back and forth with the cud, like the cows. Deuteronomy, God, uh, is feeding the Israelites and he creates this magic food that doesn't exist anywhere. It's called manna and it comes down from heaven every morning and they can pick it up and eat it, and it's only good for one day. And that's like, that's when God says, God says, or maybe it was Moses, I should go read it. Uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's talking about the manna from heaven. And it's this daily thing. And I remember there was a kid, there were these little booklets that people would read called My Daily Bread. And this is why it's called that. The manna every day. Oh, there's a light for me this week. But that's what God wants us to do. Just He's only given you enough for today. You, you open that book. You read it. He speaks to you. He leads you. You pray. You seek him. I mean, it's not always just this perfect, wonderful manna experience, I think. But like as, as you push yourself and discipline yourself to do this as a daily habit, God speaks to you for that day. Here's what you need to know today. And that's awesome. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, just as much as you need. I Think about it. Just as much as you need food. How many times a day do you eat food? That's how much you need the Bible. That's pretty cool. Uh, and it doesn't mean you read it every time. It might be, God, how do, I do with, how do I deal with this? Bring your word to my memory. You know, like, it's like regular stuff. Like, however many times you eat, that's how many times you should think about the word of God every day. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Peter says, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. So just like Jesus called it bread, here's Peter calling it milk, like a newborn baby has to eat milk to get bigger. You have to eat milk. And, and uh, I almost said Paul, but we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews talks about, hey, I'm just giving you milk again. I'd like to give you a steak, you know? And it's like, study the word and like, you know, maybe you're at the milk stage of studying the word right now, but get to the point where you're at the like, double cheeseburger stage of the word, you know? I'm going to go read the Bible. I'm going to get a whole double cheeseburger out of this hour, okay? Um, so it's beneficial because it makes you grow, okay? It's beneficial. Here's John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I, had spoke, I have spoken to you. That's Jesus speaking to his disciples. So somehow the word of God even makes us clean. And it could be, there's, I don't know if I should even get into this, but the word of God is, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's existed for, you know, the Old Testament. Sometimes it may actually be referring to the gospel in, in the New Testament. So that's an interesting thing to study. Um, so, but it's also, you know, it's also, we just read about it in John chapter 1. The word in uh, John chapter 1 is logos, and it means truth. And so uh, Jesus is called the word, too. So, like, it's, it's a fascinating thing. So you've got to study it in context, but 
Um, maybe that's what it's talking about in that passage. Okay, Colossians 3.16. Here's another uh, passage. This is Paul writing to a church in Colossae. And he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So let it dwell in you. And we're going to see a, one from Jesus that's kind of like this in a second. So let the word dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another. So as it's in you, he's, he's talking to a church. He's not talking to the pastor. So it's like Adam Barney, Chad, Des Jardins, Justin Reisenauer, David Newberger, in case you were wondering who's here. Let it dwell in you and then talk to each other with it. When you give somebody advice, uh, teach each other, admonish one another. Even in the songs we sing, when I was a brand new Christian, I thought that like the, the way we were doing worship when I first got saved, that was because it was powerful for me, like supernaturally powerful, like never experienced anything like this, this passion for God and this like, cra- I'm not an emotional person. I felt emotions, guys. And so like I thought, like whatever we're doing here, the mechanisms behind the way we do worship, this is how worship's supposed to be done. That's what I thought when I was a brand new Christian. And then I discovered like, wow, people used to just sing these hymns all the time. That's lame. No, no wonder they were the frozen chosen back then. No, but like I think that probably even, you know, like when they sang those, some hymns are really good though, don't get me wrong. But like even when they're singing those hymns, like they were singing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like spiritual songs is kind of what we're, what we're all about. 2020. You know, like that's, we only sing spiritual songs. Every once in a while we might sing a hymn. That's, there's that new song we're singing right now. What's it called? The Blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Like we sing that song and it's like we're singing to each other. That's what this is talking about. Anyway, but the, it's the word of God. Like it's not wrong. I, I have grown in my understanding. I think probably there's a lot more to worship than just the Calvary Chapel style that we use, but it's great. I love it. Um, but worship can be just singing the word of God to each other. That's really interesting. And and by doing that, we teach each other, we admonish each other, if you listen to it, and we sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Cool. So um, Hebrew, let's do John. So one more, uh, we read about the word. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Colossians said, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And here's John 15, 5 through 7. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the vine you are the branches. And this is a beautiful metaphor, and I've studied this one a lot because I want to bear fruit for him. And one of the key things, like, like it's hard, like as a, as a more scientifically-minded person, it's hard for me to be like, okay, I'm a branch, it's a vine, so like it's like a, a grapevine, and then the branches come off. How can I be a branch? And if you read it, it says, he who abides in me. Even that, even that I struggle with. Like, how do I abide in Jesus? Like, I think that means, like, I pray, I talk to him, I think about him. Um, but then it says, and I am him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Like, man, I, want, I don't know, i got to be a branch. This is important. But then it says, uh, let's see, where is it? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. Don't want that. And they gather and throw them into the fire. That sounds really bad. How do I be a branch? If you abide, now here's, here's one of the things I think that's key in this passage. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And so, oh, let the words of Jesus abide in me. That's part of the abiding. Being a branch is talking to Jesus, but also the words of Jesus 
abiding, dwelling is what Colossians said. The word in you as you meditate on it day and night. And so we see Old Testament to New Testament, the same theme that God's word is supposed to be in us. And we're supposed to be chewing on it and thinking about it. And so reading it. But, you know, I think people can get to a point where they just read it because it's, oh, check that off my to-do list. You know, I mean, some of us, I'm not that way at all. I'm not like somebody who's going to, if I read the Bible and I'm like, I got nothing out of the first two verse, I'm just going to forget it. You know, I'm not the kind of person who wants a checklist. I did it. I'm a good person. That's not me. But some people are that way. They're like, oh, I read the Bible. But did you even think about it while you read it? You know? And so um, there's a balance there. Don't be the person who reads it, but, you know, as James says, don't be a hearer of the word, but a doer. You know, is that, I mean, that's kind of the same, but, like, don't be a, don't be a the word's bounced off of me, you know. I, I played it on my phone while I was cleaning the bathroom. I didn't even pay attention to it. You know, that's not really, but, like, even if it's just for 15 minutes, just read a few verses, and God, what does this mean, and apply it to yourself. Meditate on it. Um, cool. That's all. I got one more verse. Hebrews 4.12. Here's another profitable thing about the Bible. For the word of God is living and powerful. Oh, man, we got to bring it in for a landing. Okay. For the word of God is living and powerful. This, I mean, this is important. It's living and powerful. It's living because the Spirit wrote it, and he continues to use it. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit that joints in the mirror, a discerner of the thoughts and the heart. And so like, man, I want to read the Bible, and if I'm in sin, man, I want it to just cut me deep. Tell me the truth. And, and we look back at our verse that we were going through, and I'll make it real snappy here. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. So it's profitable for doctrine. Okay, so New Living Translation. Let's go to the regular words version. Now, I love the word doctrine. I remember when I was 18, I shouldn't tell you the story because it's not important, never mind. Uh, but I learned what the word doctrine meant early on. But it's not important that you know big words, okay? It's important that you chew on the word of God. And so you might want to read the New Living Translation or there's, there's one that Rory always quotes uh, that's from like 1950, but it's still everyday language. Yeah, Phillips. Yeah, J.B. Phillips, maybe, yeah. So here's the New Living on 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God, okay, same as New King James there, and useful to teach us what is true. Doctrine is just teaching. So it's useful to tell us what's true. We, we form a Christian worldview by reading the Bible. But here's, here's the next word, reproof. I didn't even know what that word meant. I looked it up this week. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's what reproof means. It's like, what are you doing, you dummy? Okay, the Bible does that for us. Hey, here's what's true. Here's how you're a dummy. Next, it corrects us. Now, reproof sounds a lot like correct. Correct is like it just puts you back in the right place. So it's, it's, correction is puts you on the right feet. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And, and so for here, it says for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. And man, when I was a young Christian, I used to love to go read those lists of bad things and good things in the New Testament. You know, just like this is the fruits of the Spirit, and this is the work of the flesh. You know, it just tells us what's right. Oh, okay. I'm going to be joyful, patient, kind. Those are good things. I want to be those things. All right? Awesome. So that was a little long, like always. Sorry. Um, I hope that you 
Let's, let's see. How do we get practical? Let's, let's make a goal. This is a crazy idea. I'm going to do this too because I need to do this. Let's try to read the Bible twice a day all week. Not, not because you need to check it off your list or tell anybody how righteous you are. You're not righteous. You're all sinners, okay? But you got Jesus' righteousness on you, so you're good. But do it because you want it to be in you and you want to chew on it and meditate on it and let it uh, guide you daily, day and night, right? So do it every day. What is Sunday? Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Just try it. Maybe, maybe five minutes even. But, and don't read it. I mean, hopefully you're already reading the Bible, all of you, right? But if you're not, okay, if you're like, uh, once a week, sometimes I kind of, then try to just five minutes, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening. And, and after the five minutes of reading it, spend five minutes praying and talking to God or go 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, like go big, okay? Like whatever it is, but get yourself chewing and meditating on the word of God again. Okay? Maybe like you did when you first became a Christian. Because it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, I understand it now, I don't need to study it anymore. It's every day a light unto your feet. All right. That was, it was so much caffeine, guys. I had too much caffeine this morning. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go home. It's going to be great. All right. God, uh, thank you so much for um, these themes that we can see in, in the Word from you. And God, we just want to, we want to be all in with you, committed to um, following you, Jesus, and just being a fool in the eyes of the world that we could be found in you. And also, God, we just want to devote ourselves again to what we know is right, that we, that we be in your word day and night. And maybe we don't pick it up. Maybe we just, God, what do I need to hear from you right now? Even just praying and you reviving us with your word, God. But God, let us be people as Christians who want to be like Jesus, who like you did, you got up early in the morning and you prayed. You got up there, you stayed up late at night in that garden and you prayed. And so God, just let us be like you. Let your word dwell in us and abide in us and uh, make us a church of people who are just in love with you and committed to you and devoted to you and discipline ourselves toward godliness in you. In Jesus' name, amen.